0: We are glad you are listening to this audio recording produced by Crosspoint Presbyterian Church of Park City, Utah. For more information regarding the ministries of Cross Point Presbyterian Church, please visit us online at www.crosspointpca.org. You have your Bibles. Let me invite you to turn to John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of the Pew Bibles. You can find John chapter 11 on page 767 or page 897, depending upon which version of the Pew Bible you're looking at. Now, over the course of his public ministry, which is approximately three and a half years, (coughs) Jesus performed numerous miracles. But in the Gospel of John, John chooses only to focus on seven of these miraculous events. If you look at John chapter 2, we have the first miracle Jesus performs, where he turns water into wine at the wedding in Canaan. In chapter 4, he heals an official son. In chapter 5, he heals a paralytic. In chapter 6, we see the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water when he comes to his disciples in the boat. In John chapter 9, we have the healing of the blind man. And now in John chapter 11, we have the raising of Lazarus from the dead. This is the final and this is the most climactic of all of Jesus's miracles that John records for us. So if you would, please stand with me as we pray, and I ask God to bless the reading of his word. Lord God, help us turn our hearts to you this morning, to hear what you will speak, for your words are peace to us, your people, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. You have your Bibles, now read along with me in John chapter 11. Beginning in verse 1, Now certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he (coughs) who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he's not stumbled because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep with him. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. And greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, "Unbind him and let him go." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be you to God. And be seated. Now you won't know this because my sister has never been out to Utah, so even have the opportunity to meet her. But she and my daughter look a lot alike. They really have this uncanny resemblance number of years ago, when Hattie Margaret was much smaller, we were visiting my parents, and she went into the bedroom, and on my mom's dresser, she has pictures of me from when I was a small child, and she had two pictures of my sister. And Hattie Margaret picked up the picture, and as she was looking at it, she asked Nana, that's what we call uh, my mom, she said, Nana, where did you get these pictures of me? What she didn't realize was they were actually pictures of my sister. And so she was looking at these photographs, she was seeing herself in the picture of my sister, Tori. Now, in John chapter 11, we're invited to see the story in the picture of Lazarus being raised from the dead and to see ourselves. To see our story in his story. The miracle of his restoration of physical life is being parallel to our own. If you think about it, now a week goes by that you and I don't hear bad news. If you Think about the last year, you can all probably name someone who's diagnosed with cancer, who's battling cancer, who has died. I mentioned briefly Jamison Stackhouse, a church planner in San Jose. Other people have been diagnosed with tumors or battling lung disease, about to undergo medical surgeries or procedures. Some battle chronic pain and suffering. Others have experienced the loss of children, the loss of parents, and on and on it goes. We hear all kinds of suffering in our world. Now depending on where you're at in relation to that suffering, if you're experiencing it yourself, you're going to respond one way. But depending on how close you are to the person who's experiencing that pain and suffering, you may respond in a certain kind of way. If it's someone like a spouse, if it's a child, if it's a parent, you may weep with them. Your heart may break over what it is they're going. You may get angry you may begin to question, why is this happening? You may pray. You might pray for prayers of healing. Or, in the case of my family, we have my grandmother who's been battling Alzheimer's for quite some time. Our prayer for the last several years is that she would go to sleep and die in peace. But still, we're left with these questions. What's going to happen? And what will God do? This passage speaks to those kinds of circumstances and those kinds of situations. When we find ourselves in a place where we wonder, what is God doing? So the first thing I want you to see in John chapter 11 is that Jesus (coughs) loves you. It's very clear in John chapter 11 that Jesus loves Lazarus. But the way he responds, it doesn't really feel like it. So the first and the most important thing that you and I have to commit ourselves to is that the Bible has told us that in Christ Jesus, the God of the universe loves His people. It doesn't matter what circumstance or what situation you find yourself in this morning. You cannot, you cannot, you can't evaluate the love that God has for you based on what you feel or what you see or what you experience. That's what we see in this passage. John 11 starts off with Jesus receiving the dreaded call in the night. It's not actually a call, but it's news, shocking news about his friend Lazarus. John says Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha from the town of Bethany, but he also provides us a little context. He says, Mary is the one who anointed the Lord with oil and she wiped his feet with her hair. He's saying that this was an intimate and powerful relationship that Jesus has with this woman, with her sister, and with his brother. Outside of Peter, James, and John, these might be Jesus' closest friends. And all of a sudden, this message comes to Jesus and says, The one that you love has fallen ill. What's interesting is that's the message that they send. They don't say Lazarus is sick and come do something about it. They just simply say, the one that you love has fallen ill. But further on in verse 5, we're told that Jesus loved Martha and her sister. So why does John place so much emphasis on the fact that Jesus loved Lazarus, Martha, and Mary? I think John is emphasizing this because that everything that Jesus does in the first half of this story seems to communicate the exact opposite. If he really loved Lazarus, then when he got that message, he would go as quickly as he can so that he could do something about it. If he loved Mary and Martha, he would go to be with them, to comfort them in their time of great distress. But notice how he responds. He receives this message, and Jesus says this, This illness does not lead to death. But it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. But if you read on in John chapter 11 like we just did, we know Lazarus does indeed die. So what is Jesus doing here? It doesn't seem like a very compassionate response. I mean, if you were to communicate to somebody that you were sick and was terminal, obviously they were concerned enough to get a message to Jesus And Jesus just responded, it's not going to end in death. It's only just so that God could be glorified and the Son of God could be glorified through it. You would probably find that a little cold and callous. But because he loved Lazarus, Jesus is very intentional about the way he responds. And he knows that it's going to lead to death. But because he loves Lazarus, it won't ultimately end in death. That's a big distinction. So that's why John includes verse 5, because when you and I are in the midst of suffering, and God doesn't immediately remove the source of that suffering, we're left with questions. We think thoughts like he doesn't care, or he's forgotten about us, or he doesn't see or know what it is that we're going through, because it feels like he doesn't really love us, or else he would act and do something. But as you go through further in John 11, The way Jesus responds actually seems to get worse before it gets better. Verses 5 and 6 are actually connected in the Greek by that short word, so. So, if you think about it in English, you can take those two sentences and you can reverse them, and it communicates the idea of what John is saying. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was because he loved Martha and her sister. What we see is this cause and effect relationship. The cause is the love of Jesus for Lazarus, Mary, Martha. The effect is it makes him stay two days longer. That seems kind of counterintuitive. If you received news that someone you cared about was sick, you would get there as fast as you can. But what John is saying is because he loved them, he stayed two days longer. Why? Why does not he rush to Bethany? Why does he rush to the aid of the people that he loves in order to bring them comfort? After all, John has made the point. He loves them. There's no question in our minds. He loves Lazarus. And he loves his sister. So you would expect him to leave immediately. But no, John says two whole days pass. And then Jesus finally says to his disciples, now let us go to Judea. The disciples respond and we start to understand some of the context about what's going on. They don't expect Jesus to go back to Judea. In John chapter 10, when Jesus claims to be God, he says, I am the good shepherd, I am the father of one. The Jews, they were so angry, they picked up stones and they were ready to kill him. And that's reflected here in the disciples' response. They repeat it. They say, hey, they were ready to kill you and now you want to go back to Judea? So they're not expecting him to go back to Judea, even though they're aware of Lazarus' condition. And so Jesus says, Nope, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I go to awaken him. And in their mind, it's like Jesus is having a death wish. If he wants to go back to Judea, he's going to die. And they're right. They understand what's going on. And Jesus fully understands what's going on. If he goes back to this region right outside of Jerusalem, it's going to mean that his death is certain. But again, Jesus is not thinking about himself, but about glorifying the Father. That's why he says to them plainly, Lazarus has died. He says, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So let us go to him. He knows, he understands going back to, To bring Lazarus out of the grave, going back to bring comfort to Mary and Martha, what it means? It means his certain death. Jesus knows, going back to the people that he loved, what it means. He knows what it means for him to complete his mission. He knows what's at stake. But yet he recognizes that this is the opportunity for him to glorify the Father and to show the power that he has by raising Lazarus from the dead. The disciples recognize that Jesus is committed to this mission. He's going back. Nothing that they can say is going to stop him. So Thomas, in verse 16, he says, Well, if he's going back, we might as well just go with him and die also. They know and they understand what's at stake here. So they set out. And then John tells us in verse 17, When Jesus finally arrives, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. But John is simply highlighting the fact That Lazarus is dead. He's not unconscious. This won't be a resuscitation. But Lazarus has been in the tomb and he is dead. We get further clarification of this if you skip down to verse 39. When Jesus says to remove the stone away, how does the sister respond? She says, oh no, you can't do that because his body will be decomposing and the stench of death will fill the air. Sometimes we treat the characters in the Bible because we're separated from them by a couple of thousand or sometimes even more. We think of them as superstitious and sometimes we think of them as ignorant, stupid people. That the idea of a resurrection for them would just be something that they could easily believe in. But because we have all of the advancements, we have all the knowledge that's been acquired over the last uh, number of centuries, that it would be much more difficult for us to believe than it was for them. But that's not the case. They're not expecting that Jesus is going to come and call Lazarus' name and that their brother who's been dead for four days is going to walk out of the tomb. Even though they had seen Jesus perform miracles... We know that they believed that Jesus had certain powers because they both say to him, if you would have come sooner, Jesus, you could have kept him from dying. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. So we know that they had faith that Jesus had power to heal, but it was not on their radar that Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, that he was going to call him forth and he would walk out of the tomb. And yet when Jesus meets Martha, he says to her, your brother will rise again. But never in her wildest imaginations was she expecting what was about to take place. You can hear the anguish in her response when she says, I know, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Almost as she's saying, I know what the right answer is. Yes, I know about the resurrection that's going to come. But right now, all she knows is her brother is dead and Jesus didn't come in time to save it. Yeah, I know some point in the future he's going to be raised from the dead. And so Jesus responds by speaking truth to her. In essence, what he's saying is, no, you don't understand. You think you know about the resurrection, but you're standing and you're staring in the face of the resurrection and the life, and you don't even see it. He doesn't just have the power of the resurrection and life. He is the power of the resurrection and the life. She says she believes, but she really doesn't see Jesus as a source of resurrection and life. She only sees some future hope, but she doesn't realize that the source of that hope is standing right there with us. This is part of the reason why Jesus delays his travel in this particular passage. See, God doesn't operate on your schedule or mine. This is his story that he's been writing, and we're the characters in it. It's not our story. In which we try to find places for him to come in and fit with what we're doing. But it's his story. He moves on his own schedule and according to his own timetable. But when God doesn't show up on our schedule, when God doesn't respond to do what it is that we think he should do, we begin to question his goodness. And this is deadly to your soul and to mind. When God is late, we're quick to make assumptions about his character based on our circumstances and what we're feeling. When we don't have all the pieces of the puzzle, and we don't understand exactly what God is doing, we begin to question His concern for us. And this is precisely the time when we need to speak truth to ourselves and to one another. Think about the simple but profound song, Jesus Loves Me. It goes like this Jesus loves me, this I know. It's not Jesus loves me, this I feel. Because feelings change and are unreliable. Your feelings in any given moment are not competent sources of truth. You can't depend on them because you can be deceived by your own heart and by your own feelings. Even this morning, some of you are here and you question whether or not Jesus really loves you. Some of you don't feel like God has good intentions for your life or that he has the power to accomplish those good intentions for you and for your family. You're going through things and you look at that situation and you think to yourself, if God really loved me, he would do this. If God really loved me, he would answer this prayer. If God really loved me, he would make this opportunity come about or give me this relationship or provide this need that I think I absolutely have to have. But Jesus loves me. It's a profound song. Because it tells us not only that Jesus loves us, but it gives us the real and tangible, objective truth, how we can know that's true. The Bible tells me so. Not my feelings, not my experiences, not my circumstances. So when everything around you causes you to question the goodness of God, when Jesus seems to be delaying his return for whatever it is that you need him to do, remind yourself what you do know to be true. What God has revealed to us as people then in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, he's a gracious and compassionate God. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, he's the God of loving kindness. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, that he's a faithful God when you are faithless. Psalm 34, like Mary and Martha, he's near to the brokenhearted. Psalm 77, he's the God who works wonders. Genesis 16, he's the God who sees our hurts and he knows our needs. So this morning, I don't want you to leave here thinking that I'm just saying, suck it up and get on with your life. I'm not saying that. There is real suffering. There are things in your life, in my life, in the lives of people around us, as we look at our world, that should cause us to weep. That's what Jesus does here. He speaks truth to Martha, but to Mary, he just weeps. He doesn't say anything to, to Mary. He just sees her fall down. He sees her weeping. He sees those with her weeping. And John says he's moved in his spirit. He's greatly troubled. D.A. Carson, who is a a Christian author, he says a good English translation. He's outraged in spirit. He's angry at what sin and what death has done to the world that he created. Rather than Lazarus and Mary and Martha and all of his people experiencing life and all of his fullness, they're suffering in this moment. And Lazarus is dead. And then it goes on. And when they say to him, Lord, come and see, we read these powerful words, Jesus wept. Think about that. Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows he's about to call Lazarus name and he's about to come forth out of him. but he still weeps. So sometimes you need to speak truth. But sometimes you need to experience the love of God. And God is good and kind and he gives to us what we need in any given moment. So this morning I want you to see that God sees your pain and he's present with you in it. Proverbs chapter 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways submit to him. But we don't want to do that. We want him to submit to our way and to our will. Mary wanted and Martha wanted Jesus to come and act immediately so that their brother didn't experience death. But Jesus delays his travel. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't working. That doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't doing something. Even though they didn't see it, I think Jesus was actively engaged. Look down in verse 41. Notice what Jesus says. And he lifts up his eyes and says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. I don't think Jesus was just waiting for two days to pass. I think Jesus was praying and interceding on behalf of Lazarus and Mary and Martha in the presence of God the Father. Just because you didn't see it, just because Mary and Martha didn't see it, doesn't mean that God was not at work. Hebrews chapter 7 says, Therefore, we're talking about Jesus, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. After Jesus' death and resurrection, when he ascends to the Father, he didn't just go up there and take a break. He still serves as our good shepherd, interceding on behalf of the Father for his people, for you and for me. So even when you don't see it, trust the fact that Jesus is still very active on your behalf in heaven. It didn't look like Jesus was doing anything to Mary and Martha, but he was praying and the Father heard him so that when he says to Lazarus, come forth, the power of the resurrection entered his body and a dead man got up and he walked out of the grave. That's the power of the gospel. Not to make bad people good. Not to make good people better. To make dead people come alive. If you're going to see yourself in the story of Lazarus, you have to know that you are just like Lazarus. You are dead. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, you are dead in your trespasses and sin, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love, because Jesus loves you, even when you were dead in the trespass of your sin, he made you alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Paul also writes in Second Corinthians chapter 5, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, We might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus asked Martha a question. Do you believe this? Have you come to see Jesus as the resurrection and the life that you personally need? It's clear from this text that Jesus loved Mary. Jesus loved Martha. Jesus loved Lazarus. And because of that, he raises Lazarus from the dead. But Jesus also knew that the cost of doing that would be his own life on the cross. He knew that this would be the final and definitive action that would propel the religious leaders to capture him and to put him to death. The only way that he could reverse the death that Lazarus was experiencing was for him to experience it himself. The God of all eternity, bound in space and time, the God of life, would die so that you and I don't have to ultimately experience death. That's what the gospel is. Jesus comes to dead people and by the power of his spirit he makes them alive. Lazarus did nothing. You realize that? Like Lazarus does nothing. He just lays in the tomb dead. Mary and Martha do nothing except to cry out to Jesus. But Jesus comes and he speaks the word and a dead man gets up and he walks out of the grave. I pray this morning that God would help you believe that Jesus really is the source of resurrection and life that you need. Let's pray.